If you've got a Bible there, I encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13 and look that up. And while you're looking that up, a very sincere word of thanks to all the young people for their hard work in preparing for tonight and taking part. Uh, I was at you Fellowship a few weeks ago when the first night they were practicing. And to be honest, I couldn't believe it was the same pieces they sang tonight. They sounded so well. Thank you very much indeed, the all young people. Thank you for Paul for leading. And if you expect me to lead and play the guitar, you're in for a shock. It's not going to happen. Okay, we're going to think tonight about equipped to serve. That's what we're going to look at here at this final in our series in this great book of Hebrews. And there are five things I just want to mention in passing, which are in this last section. Uh, Five things which Paul deals with here. He talks, first of all, verse 17, about obeying your leaders and their responsibility. He talks about praying for him, uh, the the writer of the letter does. He talks about receiving my words in verse 22. He talks about Timothy visiting them, and then some final greetings. Now, I could have done a sermon on those points alone, but I'm just mentioning those in passing that you see that they're there. But what I want us to do tonight is to focus on just two verses, verses 20 and 21, because these verses are absolutely wonderful gems, tremendous treasure in these verses. Let me just read them. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Now, those verses, and certainly in my Bible, it's described as a benediction. A benediction is the part at the end of a service. The word benediction is a Latin word. It just means a good word. It's a word that you finish a service with, or Paul finishes his letters with, or whoever wrote Hebrews finishes his letter with, to really encourage the people. The most famous benediction is the end of 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you forever. And so that's the most famous benediction. So it's just a, a phrase, it's a summary of biblical truth to really encourage God's people. It's sometimes called a doxology, which just means words of praise to God. Now, let's just quickly recap what the book of Hebrews is about. The writer of this book of Hebrews, and we're not sure who the writer was, his purpose in writing has been to encourage believers from a Jewish background to persevere in their faith. Many of them were facing great hardships in becoming Christians, and there was a temptation to go back just to their Jewish faith, to renounce Christianity, to renounce Jesus, and things would be a lot easier for them. And so this book has been written to encourage these Jewish Christians to keep going on. And the method that the writer uses is to encourage these believers to see that Christ and what they receive in Christ in this new covenant in Christianity, what they receive is so much greater than anything they had in the Old Testament, from their Old Testament faith. And basically, if they went back, it would be like, you'll see a couple of pictures of cars coming up. It would be like if you had an old, rusty Renault 5 that kept breaking down. Nothing against Renault 5s. My first car was a Renault 5 called 
Arnie. And they, I remember when I had my round five, I remember talking to a cousin of Cheris one time. He was talking about people stealing cars. And I says, how do you stop someone stealing a round five? He says, William, nobody would steal a Renault 5. So imagine you have this rusty old Renault 5, and then you're given this super Ferrari. You're given this absolutely amazing sports car. What do you do? You still keep going around in your Renault 5, which keeps breaking down and rarely gets you to your destination. Absolutely crazy. And in many ways, that's what these Jewish Christians would be doing. If they turn from their... Jewish faith back to their, or for their Christian faith, back to the, what they believed previously as Jews, it's like going from the Ferrari back to an old clapped out Renault 5. Having spent 13 chapters highlighting the wonderful blessings of salvation and the new life in Jesus, this writer now comes to this benediction. And the amazing thing is after these 13 very detailed chapters, he is still introducing new things about being a Christian that he hadn't even spoken about in all those previous chapters. The young people are too young to remember this man, but you see a, a man coming up, all older folk will remember, Jimmy Cricket, who is a Northern Ireland comedian, uh, famous for his hat, famous for his welly boots, which were on the wrong feet, and famous for his expression, come here, there's more. Come here, there's more. And you'll be telling jokes, and there'll always be more. And the amazing thing is with this benediction, it's saying, no matter what you know about Jesus, no matter what you've come to experience about Jesus, there is always so much more. We should be hungry for more and more of this Jesus. So let's look at this benediction. And there are seven points, uh, hopefully I'll not be too long on them, but seven points that we take from this benediction, what Jesus gives us. First of all, it begins with the phrase, the God of peace. Now, may the God of peace. Now, God is not described in this way in the book of Hebrews, but in a sense behind all that has been taught in regards to salvation is this subject of peace. The people have been warned in the book of Hebrews that God is not to be messed with. God is like a consuming fire. But that's not the full story of God. Yes, he is a consuming fire, but he is the God of peace. Wonderful peace in the Trinity, a perfect, loving, and harmonious relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit for all of eternity. God made this world a world of peace and harmony, a world in which he had peace with the first people that was made. But it's all been messed up because of the sin of mankind. And the whole story of the Bible is about God's great desire and plan to restore that peace which was there in the beginning. Peace between God and man, peace within creation. And when the Bible talks about peace, it's not just talking about the absence of conflict or war. Peace is a life full of contentment, harmony, and joy. Even that kid's song had got it. That joy, that peace, deep within our hearts. We're thinking tonight about being equipped to serve. Being equipped to serve comes from knowing the peace of God. The second thing it says is, who brought Jesus from 
the dead. Now, the resurrection is sort of alluded to in the book of Hebrews, but it's not really spoken about at all in any detail. Rather, the book of Hebrews focuses more on Jesus' death and his atoning work. Now, remember, the writer here is encouraging these believers to persevere in the face of trials, in the midst of opposition. And this benediction is speaking of how God equips his people to serve. And how amazingly encouraging it is to know that the one who will equip us is the one who has such power that he raised Jesus from the dead. You know, that's not the first time when the resurrection is linked indeed to power to serve. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, prays that their eyes would be opened for them to grasp what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul is saying something staggering. That power which raised Jesus from the dead, Christian, that power is in you. That power is available to you to enable you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing truth. We'll not think of ourselves the same when we understand that. I'm not sure whether you like the superheroes or not. Uh, some people in our house like the superheroes. And I think in the superheroes of these amazing strengths, such as the Hulk, which you'll see on the screen, I think there are two types. So those who have had their powers since they were born, like Superman, and there are those who because of some event in their life, receive this power. We think of the Hulk and the accident with the gamma rays and how he received this amazing power to pound people like Loki and so forth. The Christian is not born with this amazing power. But when they are born again and become to trust in Jesus, that's the beginning of this amazing power of God coming into our lives. Now, it's not a power of which we are able to pound people like the Hulk or to fly like Superman, but it is a power to live differently than we have ever lived before. Because it's a power from the God who brought Jesus from the dead. Jesus from the dead, and then it says of Jesus, the third point, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. The Old Testament, which these Christians, these Jewish Christians would have known, it was full of pictures of God as a shepherd. Psalm 23, Psalm 80, Psalm 100, just to mention a few places. And calling Jesus here the great shepherd of the sheep is basically saying Jesus is this God of the Old Testament. Jesus is divine. Jesus has the power of heaven. And the wonderful thing being spoken about here is that this great shepherd who is here to protect, to guide, to help his sheep, is the one who has conquered sin and death. He is the resurrected one. You think of Jesus when he first came to this world. Yes, he had power. He fed the 5,000. Yes, he calmed the storm. But in many ways, his life was one of weakness. He knew pain. He knew death. But the Jesus who rose from the dead, is a Jesus who rose in power. He's the one who has defeated death. He is the one that death can never take again. 
He is the all-conquering one. And that is the one who walks beside the Christian. That's the one who walks into secondary school beside the believer. The Jesus who is resurrected. He's at the right hand of the Father now. He is there in the place of all power and glory. He rules over this whole world, it says in Ephesians, for the sake of the church, for the sake of believers. He is the great shepherd, the resurrected one, the victorious one. We live in days when Christians are scorned, when Christians are mocked. And I know for our young people in school or university, it's not an easy place to be a Christian. You're almost pitied. Oh, you poor Christian, you believe that? Listen, we are those who have Jesus, the resurrected one, the one who rules this world. He is our friend. He is our savior. He is our shepherd. How wonderful that is. It speaks of Jesus, the shepherd of the sheep, how he is raised from the dead, and it speaks of the, the blood of the eternal covenant. Let me just read that verse again, verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now the blood of the covenant has been mentioned previously in Hebrews. It is spoken of in regards to the purifying of the items in the temple. Items to be used for worship. They were sprinkled with blood to cleanse them. And Jesus in the upper room, you remember, he took the cup to represent his blood, the cup of wine. What did he say? How did he describe it? This is my blood of the covenant. Now, a covenant is when God commits himself to his people. And Jesus, by describing his blood as the covenant, is saying, this is how much I'm committed to you. Christian, do you want to see how committed I am? Look at my shed blood. Do you want to know how committed the Father is to you? Look at my shed blood. Do you want to know how committed the Holy Spirit is to you? Look at my blood. Look to the cross. Look to what I endured. There you see my commitment to you. Now, does this phrase, the blood of the eternal covenant, when you look at this passage, does it relate to what went before it when it speaks of Jesus being raised from the dead? Or does it relate to what comes afterwards when it speaks of Jesus equipping the saints? Is the writer saying that Jesus was raised from the dead by the blood of the covenant? Or is he saying that the blood of the covenant equips believers to serve? Now that question is harder than the raisins one, isn't it? I think the answer is both. Jesus was raised from the dead by the blood of the covenant. He was raised from the dead because by shedding his blood, he paid the price for sin in full, and that meant death no longer had a hold over him, and the resurrection proves that the price had been paid. So his shed blood had won the victory and the resurrection was proven it. So his shed blood led to his resurrection. But this is a wonderful thing and this is so relevant for us. Just like the objects in the temple, when they were sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifices by the priests, 
They were cleansed. They were set apart from common use to be used for holy use for the worship and service of God. And so believers are equipped to serve through the cleansing power of Jesus' blood being applied to them. How do you become someone who can be used mightily in serving God? It's not about your ability. It's not about your intelligence. It's about being cleansed by Jesus. It's about holiness, becoming like Jesus. Almost 200 years ago in Scotland, a small group of men were warming themselves at a fire at a quarry when a stranger approached them on horseback. They got into a conversation, the stranger got off his horse, chatted to them, and challenged them about their souls and where they were with Jesus. I'll try and do the Scottish here. This is what they said to the stranger. You're no common man. You're no common man. And the stranger says, I am a common man. But that man, in many ways, there was something about his life, there was something about him that just stood out that these men who he is talking to saw him as something special. He didn't see it, but they saw it. That man was the Reverend Robert Murray McShane. And Robert Murray McShane would say this, it's not great talents God blesses, as much as great likeness to Jesus, a holy minister or a holy elder or a holy woman or a holy young person is an awful or awesome weapon in the hand of God. How can you be impact, impact your class, your friends for Jesus? You need the cleansing power of Jesus more and more in your life. Brings us to our next point, which is equip you for everything good. It's speaking here about being complete. It's speaking here about Jesus having all the resources we need. In the Ukraine war, at the moment, there's a lot of discussion about having the right weaponry, the right tanks, the right artillery, the right munitions. And in many ways, those who are going to win, you want to flick it on there? Those who are going to win are those who will have the right weaponry. Imagine being in a battle, being at the crucial point in the battle, and your weapons or your munitions just run out. No more bullets, no more shells to fire, and you're at the mercy of your enemy. The wonderful thing is the Christian will never be put in that position by Jesus. The Christian has all the resources of Christ. He equips them fully. He spoke to his disciples, when you're pulled in front of the courts, in front of magistrates to give an account for me, don't even work out what you're going to say. I will give you the words. Jesus is the one who equips us with what we need. Why? The next point, that you may do his will. Equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, 
working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Jesus saves us. Jesus equips us, not for us to do our own thing, but in order that we live a different life, we live a life for the glory of God. We live a life for his pleasure. I love the story of Eric Little who refused to run the Olympic race on a Sunday. And in the film Chariots of Fire, when his sister, and I don't believe it was like this in reality, but his sister was sort of scolding him, spending so much time training instead of the work of the faith mission, he says, you know, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And he went to the Olympics, refused to run on a Sunday, ran another race on another day, won a gold medal for the pleasure of God. He didn't get up in the morning to please Eric Little. He got up in the morning to please Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul put it this way, your life is not your own. You were bought at a price. You see, if you're going to be a Christian, you cannot be a Christian and live for yourself. You cannot be a Christian and live for your own pleasure. To be a Christian, you have to live for the will of God, for the pleasure of Christ. That's not easy. And before people would follow him, Jesus says, count the cost. Are you up for this? Jesus didn't want any half-hearted followers. And whether you're a young person or an old person here this evening, remember this. Jesus does not want you if you're a half-hearted follower. The letter to the Laodicean church, what did he do to the lukewarm church? It says he would spit them out. Jesus demands that we're in it fully. He demands that we're fully committed because he is fully committed to us. Which brings us to our last point. Working in us through Jesus Christ. Verse 21, equip you of everything good that you may do his will, do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. This is a wonderful thing. As Paul says, it's no longer I who lives. I don't live in my own strength. I don't live according to my own will. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How can you be a Christian? How can you face the challenge of being totally committed to Christ? You can't do it. I can't do it in ourselves. But it is Christ who lives and works in us. The famous evangelist Billy Graham, now he said this maybe 30 years ago when I was maybe a younger person, uh, and he said this, you know, I couldn't be a young person today. I couldn't be a young person today and live for Jesus unless Jesus is living in my heart. And this is the amazing truth. The Jesus who is God, the Jesus who is raised from the dead, the Jesus who's died to cleanse us, he lives in the Christian. He is the one 
who enables us to go into the academy, or Cambridge House, or Cullibacky College, or Schlemish, or Dunclog, or wherever. He is the one who enables us to go in and to be different. Because he lives in us if we believe. So what have we learned from this amazing benediction? What have we learned about being equipped to serve as we recap? The God of peace, the God of peace who brought Jesus from the dead, Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, who by the blood of the eternal covenant, he equips you with everything good, everything you need, so that you may do his will. And the wonderful thing is that this Jesus continues to work in you. The book of Hebrews finishes with this amazing benediction. is about Jesus and Jesus saving us, purifying and living us. Do you remember how the book of Hebrews began? A long time ago in our studies. Hebrews 1 and verse 1 says this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And speaking of Jesus, he says, he is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, the book of Hebrews begins with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. Do you get the point? The Christian life, Christianity, is all about Jesus. Who he is, what he has done, and coming to know him, his power, his grace, his strength in our lives as we read his word, as we pray, as we step out in faith for him. No half measures because Jesus does no half measures for us. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you just for Jesus, your eternal son. We want to praise you for his amazing work of salvation and the amazing truth, Father, that that power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in every believer in this room this evening. And Father, may that encourage us Encourage us to heed this calling to live not according to our will, but according to his will for his pleasure and his glory. Oh, Father, what a wonderful truth that being a Christian, being born again means Jesus by his spirit lives in us. And with Jesus in us, we can conquer sin and the world. For such grace we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.